You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Make Liberty Great Again, the best damn liberty podcast that you've never heard of. I'll be your guide as we peer into the ridiculous reality that is our society and our government. Let's get to it. Welcome to Make Liberty Great Again. I'm your host, Cam Harless, and with me, I have who I'm just going to say is just the most regular of my guests, which is Jessica Green. So say hi, Jessica. Hi, Jessica. (laughs) Joining Jessica and I today is easily one of the best people I've ever met on Twitter. Um, Mr. Warren Dent, who I will call Dent for the rest of the episode. Uh, But yeah, we met because we were both in Michael Malice's Twitter mention, Twitter comment sections. (laughs) And so... Introducing you now to uh, Mr. Warren Dent, who uh, who owns a microphone and audio company called Zen Audio. Zen, Zen Pro Audio. Audio. And he's he's just he does a lot. So welcome, welcome, Dent. Welcome Thanks to for having me, Cam. My my corner of the malcontented internet. Hi, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's nice, it's nice to meet you in person, but yes, I kind of absolutely. feel like we already know each other a little bit. So yes, and I've, I've seen you on quite a few podcasts actually as well. Oh, good. I do get around. <laughs> <laughs> so all right. So one of the things that I have been doing for a while is I stopped doing that news format because that's that's how this show started was a news format and i thought you know what i'd rather do i'd rather do what joe rogan does which is talk to people that i find interesting and want to talk to which is why jessica's on again because she just happens to be one of my favorite people to talk to and i was thinking about it the other day when i don't know exactly what it was if it was on malice's locals or what but i was like do you want to come on the show? I just, no, that's what it was. I asked you, do you own a microphone? Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I kind, of sell, I kind of sell them too. <laughs> well, yeah, and you were like, oh, you were like, I think that you probably, I have to assume that you probably thought that I was coming to you asking to buy a microphone or asking you advice. Uh, 50%, I figured it was a podcast. Um, um, question yeah okay <laughs> yeah whether it was to be on one or if you needed some advice or something i don't know and what and it's funny is i did not know that you sold microphones because that's something that you learn if you're in the dave rubin side of the conversation which is a good side of the conversation just not one that i'm typically in i'm in the the malice section right <laughs> yeah so <laughs> i'm in both yeah <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I thought was so funny was when I asked you that you were like, Oh, well, you know, I sell them for a living. And I was like, Oh no, I didn't know that. And you're like, no, I donated all of the microphones and sound equipment for Dave Rubin's show. Yeah. And yeah, I was like, awesome. Oh wow. <laughs> that and didn't you do yeah. it for uh, Bridget fetacy too? Correct. In fact, uh, this microphone, this is the Bridget Fantasy mic, which, or you could call her mic the uh, the Warren Dent mic, but uh, 
<laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, she had a real problem with her microphone, uh, probably about, I don't know, six months ago or something like that. And I saw these people giving her like really bad advice online. And I, <laughs> what I did was I got in touch with Malice because I know Malice enough to get him to ask Bridget to let me talk to her. Um, because uh-huh. her, you know her DMs aren't open. I said, "Can you tell her that I'm like not crazy, and I want <laughs> to help her with a microphone because I've helped uh, you know Michael with some stuff as well." It's kind of my thing. I when yeah. when I want to support people online, I really like to actually support them. And anyway, <laughs> so she finally hit me up, and I was like, "Hey, uh, your mic sucks, and you're getting bad advice. And I've got this mic, and I'm willing to give you the whole setup." Um, and I think that would be really great. And she was like, oh, okay, great. And so there you go. So that's how, <laughs> that's how I started off with, with Bridget as well. So yeah, you're like the invisible benefactor of, of the Liberty movement. I feel like I don't use Seriously, the word Liberty though. movement because it, it died in 2012 when Ron Paul stopped running for president, but <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dave Rubin, like I, I listen to him somewhat. For for me, Dave Rubin is very um, guest dependent. Yes, and so I, I will listen to Malice on anything, yes. and that's most of what I've watched Dave Rubin on. Mm-hmm. The only time that I was ever somewhat disappointed in Dave Rubin was when he was on the Joe Rogan podcast. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here, this little voluntarist, anarchist guy going, okay, you seriously stop talking about construction. I have the answer. <laughs> right. <laughs> do you remember that moment? I do. And, and Ro- uh, I remember that Rogan was annoyed because his, uh, his dad had worked in construction and he had some different ideas too. And he just kind of didn't want to hear it, but. Um, yeah, I think everybody gets in a little bit of trouble when they sort of inject their own uh, politics. Dave is interesting for me in that I found him in, I, I'm assuming, 2015, so about five, five yeah. and a half years ago. And there was this there was this crazy guy, Milo Yiannopoulos, that was out there. <laughs> and I just couldn't believe how out there the guy seemed to be. And so... I started to look around for clips and I found this interview and it was Dave Rubin interviewing Milo again, must've been 2015. And I just loved Dave's interview style. He had a great yeah. way of getting information out of people and, um, and his interactions with him were really good. That's actually the moment that I reached out to Dave. So I guess I've known him for about five and five, five and a half years now. And at the time he was doing his, um, show in Larry King's studio called Aura TV mm-hmm. and they had no microphones. And so I said, Oh, then that's what I'd like to do. So I got all of the audio equipment out to them. And then a couple of months later, uh, he and David hit me up and they said, well, we're moving into a new studio. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to leave Larry King's Aura TV. And now we need to design a room and, um, you know, acoustically treat it and things like that. So we, um, you know, kind of like hopped on a, a conference call and talked about the size of the room and all of that. And that was another step that I took with them as well was to help him with the acoustic panels. And you can see some panels in here also, this is just my office, but this room would be an, an echoey mess, you know, without it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much how I started with, uh, 
with Dave. And Dave's interesting too, in that, uh, again, people do get into some trouble with their own politics when they get very yeah. specific, especially a guy who interviews people. Like nobody ever really cared about Larry King's politics. I mean, Larry King could talk to David Duke. He could talk to George H.W. Bush. And nobody thought that, you know, Larry King, uh, you know, believed everything that they believe. And Dave had a lot of really cool independent thinkers on early on. Yeah. And in that exact time frame, even before, um, you know, Trump really picked up uh, speed in this modern era. <laughs> the only thing that I knew was that political conservatism wasn't working. And he had these again, like even a guy like Milo, if you listen to Milo, Milo came from that side of conservatism that is very happy to tell yeah. the world this. And most conservatives of the past. He raised are, his middle fingers. Yeah. You <laughs> <laughs> middle fingers. For um, the audio, for the audio people. Yeah. I, yeah right. So he was, uh, uh, he was very instrumental for me to tell you the truth uh, at a time when I just wanted to leave stock conservatism. All I knew is that it never stopped anything. And that it was a campaign promise. Did you have a, a Gavin McInnes phase? Yeah. yeah, same time as Milo. You know, you find Gavin, and again, he's, you know, raising those middle fingers. Um, you find <laughs> this guy who is willing to tell, you know, what uh, Malice and Moldbug and these guys would call the cathedral, you know, sort of the powers that be. No, we don't want all that war. We don't want all of that uh, other stuff. We want to be left alone. And that's an interesting brand of conservatism um, that kind I think paleo ish. Yes. And I think that it can help a lot of people to uh, maybe take their first steps towards, you know, a more libertarian or like you said, voluntarist um, attitude, you know, moving forward. So, yeah, those guys were really instrumental for me early on. Yeah. Well, I, I came in, we, we all actually have different, load-ons to the Liberty move movement, or I like to call it the Liberty verse now, um, is you, mine was Ron Paul back in about 2009, 2010. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm the basic bitch of Liberty, you know, um, <laughs> Jessica here came from the Bernie Sanders left. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and then like, I, I don't, I really appreciated what I appreciate about, um, Milo Yiannopoulos and what I appreciated about Gavin McInnes was just, it was that middle finger to the system, to the cathedral and all of that. And I, I enjoyed that. But when Tom Woods introduced me to malice with that uh, scalpel, like laser precision of the middle finger, I was just like, this is, this is it. This is what I want to do. <laughs> I, I want to mock the system. I want to mock right. the bad guys. Yeah. If I can talk about Tom Woods for a second. Absolutely. Um, a very Woods, failed podcaster. He's my, very, he's my favorite. I love Tom and I'll tell you why. So again, I'm on my journey and I just want to get away from political conservatism. I don't really know what libertarianism is. I've got that sort of old conservative view of libertarianism that, oh, they get a lot of things wrong, but they get a lot of things right. Yeah. And I said, that's it. I'm going to the Libertarian uh, Convention. And I went in 2016. <laughs> I drove to Florida. All right. I'm here in the South. So I drove to Florida. It wasn't that crazy. And here I was in the middle of all these people 
to check out a um, sort of a movement or a mindset. I don't even know what it is. Right. Yeah. And the first thing that happened when James I got Weeks. there, huh? Was it James Weeks? <laughs> no. Running around naked. Is that the dude that took all his clothes off? No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could you no, no, see no, my was... hackles going up? Yeah, that was like two days later. So <laughs> I get to the, I get to the convention and I bought like the freaking gold package. All right, like I'm allowed to like you know watch uh, speakers and go to events and all this kind of stuff. The very first event that I went to was a luncheon and the guy that was speaking was Tom Woods. And I went through the little buffet and I got some chicken and some veggies and stuff. And I sat at a table and all of a sudden this other guy comes over and sits next to me and he's got a rubber boot on his head. And I mean, obviously Vermin Supreme, but I had no idea who he was. It was very obvious that there was three guys across the table from us. They knew who he was. I did not know who he was. He took the hat off before he ate. And, you know, we just kind of said hello. Which is polite. Really, huh? Which is polite. That's the polite Very thing polite to do. To Remove the rubber boot. The before rubber you boot off your head before we're eating. And the, he literally sat right next to me. So my first experience was watching Tom Woods speak, sitting next to Vermin Supreme <laughs> at the 2016 LP convention. And here's the thing that I have to say about Tom. Tom is the perfect avenue for any stock conservative to yeah. take a look at libertarianism, whatever you want to call it. Um, and because everything that Tom talked about, it didn't matter if it was finance, war, law. It didn't matter. It had none of the statist solutions. Yeah. And I was just like, what is the deal with this guy? Like, I, I agree with everything he's saying. But he's also not saying anything that like a Republican would say uh, or even a conservative would say. And so Tom really was the first real big step for me, bigger than anything I saw at the convention, including the naked guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the room when that happened. That was really people were so. Well, you know, yeah. The really cool thing about Tom Woods is that you come from a more conservative arena and I come from like a, a leftist socialist Bernie Sanders arena and Tom Woods was the gateway for both of us because I have a similar, I didn't see him speak live. I just listened to his podcasts, yeah. but the way he made sense wasn't through rhetoric and, you know, demonization and all of those other things. And he also wasn't calling me an idiot for not understanding. Right. And that was something you really didn't get from like your political enemies. They don't give you the opportunity to learn things because they're so busy calling you stupid and calling you an idiot. They assume that you can't learn or you can't be taught or disabused of your bad ideas. And Tom doesn't do that. He just tries to give you the facts so that you have them as tools. I really appreciated that about him. And um, I, what I think is great is that you come from the right and I come from the left and we both found the same doorway, which was Tom. That is absolutely amazing. And one thing also, I know that you said you came from the Bernie side. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I'm able to say as a guy who's um, you know definitely in the libertarian camp is that Bernie Sanders, I believe he's a good person. And so... In other words, if you stand with just with conservatives, it's like you can't even say that. It's like, no, yeah. I think he has he has bad ideas. He also has a few good ideas, right? He's he's good on criminal justice reform. He'll work with Rand Paul. Uh, he and Senator Mike Lee have you know worked on you know the war in Yemen and things like that together. It's 
blatantly obvious that Bernie is essentially a good person. Uh, the, the bad thing is, is that he is also uh, protesting for total domination and control over all of our lives. <laughs> and so, you know, I can't really have that either, but. I don't hold quite such a generous opinion of Bernie Sanders any longer, although I used to be one of his supporters. I think now I can clearly see that his function is to round up progressives back into the Democratic Party, that he goes and collects all the little wayward sheep and gets them to vote because he has endorsed every single Democratic candidate that has come down the line for the last, how long has he been in government? 200 years? He plays a very, he plays a very good character and he does it very well, but I don't see that honesty in him. I, I, I think that it's um, a pantomime. I, I think it's an act. I think they allow him to go a certain distance. And the other thing is, is that he won't join their party. So there's going to be some distance between uh, Bernie and the actual Democrats. They are never going to trust a guy that doesn't have a D after his name. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, I would put her in the same camp as Bernie. I think that Tulsi Gabbard is a good person. And I think that she's right on issues of war, the war on drugs in particular, which I'm, I'm very passionate about the war on drugs. I don't even uh, drink alcohol. I don't do drugs. Uh, in fact, I've never done that my entire adult life and I'm 49 wow. years old. So, um, but um, that's really impressive. Yeah. I, I, An impressive it's, thing. It's never bad. I deleted it uh, very early on. Let's put it that way. So as an adult, I've never actually experienced it and I have no desire to, but I put Tulsi in that same camp. I think that she's good on a lot of similar issues, but again, then you look at, you know, green new deal and all this other stuff. And it's like, these people just want to spend you into the ground and basically enslave you with debt. So I put her in the exact same camp. Am I the only one that when I look at Bernie Sanders, well, for one, I can't really get past his, his little rape story that he wrote. And so that gives me like that really creepy touchy <laughs> uncle vibe. Really but nasty. also he just looks to me like he drank a big old glass of milk about two days ago and hasn't showered. And the lingering smell of rotten milk is always following him around. Wow. I think you can even go back to footage from the early 80s and apply that uh, that same thought process. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, he's does he not old. look like he stinks? Yeah, <laughs> to be fair to him, he's been old for as long as we've been alive. Yeah, so, I think he's been I mean, old for as long as he's been alive. Right, he came out like that, basically. And <laughs> yeah, he, he's, like, he's like the Steve Martin of uh, politics. You know, he's always looked 70. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure some of the timbers are rotten. He can't get away from that. But that's our entire body of government is 450 years old. They've been here since the Civil War, most of them. So um, and seem to carry on a lot of the same values as they did then. So... I don't really know what to do with the fact that we have this um, aging um, government, but I know when something like that was happening in Russia, uh, their government collapsed very shortly after all of their old governors died. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next 10 or so years when all of these um, old guard politicians start dropping off the map. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, you know, Gen Z, I've, you know, my, I've got some <laughs> kids that are Gen Z and I, Sometimes I wonder if they'll uh, if they'll pull through and, you know, try to look for some freedom in their lives. Let me ask you, since 
so you started kind of your Liberty journey sometime around 2015, you said. Mm -hmm. And so how long, where are you now on that spectrum? Because we all know it's a spectrum if you catch my drift. Um, But how far, how far along the Liberty journey are you? If I can ask. Wow. Um, So socially I'm um, very conservative now, but, However, I don't mean that on a legal or governmental level at all. We're on, the same, we're on the same page. Yeah, it's just the way that I live my life, the things that I teach my children, um, the, the things that I you know, you have morally approve of. What's that? Which you have eight of. Yeah, just eight. And I have five. So it's like you are, you are me in the future if I don't you know, get the little snip snip. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. You don't want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I would say that we're probably in the same categories when it comes to that. Like when, for me, when I'm asking that question, it's less about, you know, are you pro sex work? I'm not pro sex work. I'm legally, if you want to do that, do it, Correct. but I'm not going to celebrate it. And I'm not going to be like, you go girl, because I just feel like that's a harmful thing. Whether or not that offends someone is neither here nor there because I don't want to prosecute them for doing it. Yes. I, I've never understood um, in, again, in my short period of time having, you know, uh, more and more towards uh, freedom. I've never understood the thought that you should d- sort of delete morality as a way of deleting government. It's like, yeah. no, <laughs> like that's, that's, there are people who make that sort of case and um, I don't understand it. Socially, none of my views have really, changed um yeah i I don't want to add prison sentences to things you know i mean do i don't like drugs one of the one of the favorite things that i ever heard ron paul say was i don't like the drugs but what i really don't like is the drug war and then he just rattles off every reason why you should not want to add a prison sentence uh to somebody who's got an addiction or some kind of other problem and that was amazing to me and that was something Uh, you know, he was probably saying, well, he said those things for a long time, but I probably heard him say that around the time that you're saying that you picked up on Ron Paul. Hmm. And it made a lot of sense to me. Like, why would you do that? I'm also not one of these people who's like, oh, let's take all the money and put him in rehab then. Well, no, because now you're still promoting this sort of cradle to grave idea of government that every problem I have, I should be able to turn to my senator and get somebody else to pay for it and somebody else to take responsibility. So, I mean, would I take, if you said, here are your two choices, rehab or jail, of course I would take rehab. Right. I'd rather just delete the government from all of that stuff. Right. Because when people make that plea to, to do more rehab, to pay for rehab, to do that, they're ignoring how addiction works and how people free themselves from addiction. I have not known a single person who hasn't, who has continued being clean from drugs or alcohol, who didn't make that decision themselves. They didn't get to that point and voluntarily choose to stop. Right. Exactly. So in other words, what you're saying is just because you got caught doesn't mean you're at rock bottom. It doesn't mean that you're in the final phase of waking up because there I've been through these programs. And the one thing that I do believe is that once you hit the bottom, 
you're going to keep going. You're either going to head towards death or you're going to head towards prison, possible insanity, you know, yeah. mental, mental issues and things like that. So you do have a choice. So I agree with that. Just being arrested with drugs or, or, or whatever doesn't mean that you're ready to actually give them up. Right. So that's a really good point. Well, and, and not to mention, like when they've studied addiction, they have found that a lot of the a lot of the reason that people go towards addiction happen to be like community problems. So these are people that do not have the support systems they need. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, providing them with rehab might seem like you're providing them a support system, but if they didn't choose it and they don't want it, that's mm -hmm. not fixing the underlying issue that led them to addiction in the first place. So even if you get them in a bed, tie them down and get rid of all of the, the drugs in their system, at the end of their stay, the issue hasn't been addressed. And that issue, I don't believe, can actually be addressed in someone until that individual chooses to address it. And this is coming from a kid whose dad was a heroin addict before before uh, I was born. And he, he was able to kick that. He was able to – he went through Teen Challenge. I don't know if you know of Teen Challenge. No. It's a, it's a Christian drug uh, rehabilitation ministry. Right. Yeah. And he did that back in the 80s. Um, unfortunately, when you're 30-something, you've been doing heroin since you were 16 years old. There are issues that continue. And unfortunately, I no longer have him around. And so that's very, that's very sad. But one of the positives was, of seeing someone choose to change was I also saw what happened over the years and how it affected them physically. Because, you know, I could say, oh, well, I don't want to do drugs. I'm against it. But the truth is I saw the very real outcome of being 66 years old after wrecking your body with heroin for 20 years of your life earlier. So, I mean, addiction, it's, I think that what I, what, why I'm saying this isn't because I think, oh, well, the state needs to find a better way to do this. I'm saying they're incapable of it. And every time they give a solution, it just makes the problem worse or doesn't address it at all. I'm really sorry. To hear that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I, I <laughs> think there's year, an interesting but... metaphor here for um, collectivism and individualism that there are always people who think that they can make people better yes. through force yeah. or through program or through taxation or whatever. Right. And that, um, you know, people can't necessarily be made better by the will of others. They, that, that, you know, that has to come from the individual will and you can't quantify that or scale that in any way. And it's almost this idea that, you know, uh, more learned elite people can take you and make you into something you're not willing to be. And it's also, I've, I've had a couple of conversations recently where uh, Thomas Sowell's concept of the constrained versus the unconstrained view of humanity has come up. And like when it comes to the drug war and drugs and how the left and right plan to take care of it is actually a perfect illustration of that. Because on the right, they want to, they, they don't think you can change. They mm -hmm. think they cannot change man and man cannot change. So man goes into prison. He gets punished for what he has done. Whereas on the left, they're all rehab, rehab. That's what we need to do. We, we can fix man. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that that's just, is that not emblematic of kind of the, the split of left and right within our current governmental structure? The only thing I was going to say was uh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm no Randian, okay? Um, but I love what she says about how altruism um, is what will always ensure you that the state will exist because both left and right believe in it. So yeah. people on the right who are Christian, nothing against them. It's an attribute of theirs. Their altruism makes them believe that they should be helping people. And when the state is right there going, hey, give me a dollar, I'll pass 27 cents along, <laughs> um, they, they will buy into that for the most part. So they think that, oh, we're helping people also with this thing that exists. Well, the left believes the same way. They believe that they can hammer society into whatever they want. Uh, but there's there's this altruistic view that comes from both left and right. Um, and again, I, that's one of the most powerful things that I ever heard her say. It just yeah. really hit me in a very strong way. Like, wow, that's pretty much it. Because it doesn't now it doesn't matter if you're liberal or conservative. You believe that government has a role to help other human beings and it makes you a better person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And fundamentally, I think that that. That's where there is unity between people who think that the individual should live their life however they want to. Even if I don't agree, if you want to be a sex worker, if you want to do heroin, all of those things that I might say, you know, I don't think that those are very good ideas. I wouldn't want them for my children. I wouldn't want them for myself. I don't want them in my neighborhood in particular. But I understand that you as the individual have the freedom to live your life the way that you want to, not the way that I want you to. And that's what makes us individualists as opposed to collectivists who say, well, we'll all do better if none of us are on drugs. Well, that's not the reality. And even if you hope for that to be the reality, it doesn't shake out that way. I mean, the war, the war drugs are winning the war on drugs. They've won it in Oregon. You can buy crack there now. So (laughs) I think that the um, efficacy of the war on drugs has, has been busted, unfortunately. And, Do you think that, um, and this is another one of these things that I don't think I could have started to say five years ago as just a stock conservative. Do you think that Barack Obama may have been the beginning of the end of the drug war by loosening marijuana uh, laws and regulations? I think that Obama, I don't think he cared at all about marijuana. I think that when it came down to it, I would say I, I would have said without a shadow of a doubt that he cared if he de- if did, did he remove it from the schedule or is it still I, on, the, on the schedule because it's still federally it illegal on the, federal, on the federal level it is but he he directed his guys to let the states do what they want and but so i don't think the states started taking their, their own liberties with it but i don't think it was because he particularly cared about marijuana i think that the states were heading in that direction and he knew he lost his base he lost his his ability to retain power if he didn't do that so let me ask you if you think that barack obama maybe effectively started the end of the drug war by doing i think i think yes he effectively in a sense i think he allowed it I right. think, I think that the it drug was war in, was already ending on its own. I think that but. decentralization or nullification and people like uh, Mike Meharry and uh, Michael Bolden at the 10th Amendment Center, people were starting to push back. And I'm not saying that Mike Meharry and Bolden did it, but 
I think that people started realizing, especially with all of the the uh, studies that were coming out that were talking about how good it was for your health and how it could help with cancer, how it could help with pain, sleep, whatever, that started snowballing. Because I remember back, you know, when I was a teenager, it was it would have been crazy for me to say to anyone that marijuana marijuana might be something good if you have cancer and you're dying of cancer. Right. And I think that I saw that that change happen. I was working in a, a bookstore and I kept seeing the, the magazines as the, as the narrative changed over time. And I do think that it was a lot of people pushing, like actual people pushing. But I do think that people in government started to see that it was a losing battle for marijuana. Mm-hmm. And so they let up because they knew that I mean, they didn't want the Republicans in there. They didn't want someone to be able to come in and do the opposite and take up if that they, mantle. If they didn't loosen restrictions on marijuana, it would have um, had a more deleterious effect on the overall drug war. And they need to keep most of that going because of their entanglements in South America, Mexico, the cartels, all of the things that are running with that are far more complex and complicated than whether their citizens smoke marijuana or not. So, um, you know, that aspect of the drug war was already on its way out and much like the government always does, they got in front of an already exigent movement and said, look what we did. Right. I remember in the nineties, um, (laughs) hearing like, you know, hippie types, they would make this case of like, yeah, man, you can like make fuel and rope out of it and stuff. And like, you knew that that dude just, he just didn't want to be arrested, uh, you know, for the weed that was most certainly in his pocket at that very moment in time. <laughs> Have but, you ever worn hemp? It's terrible. Oh, I'm sure it is. <laughs> right. I just remember people making like all those stupid arguments and then you get older. And then when you kind of start looking at whatever you want to call this libertarianism or liberty movement or voluntarism, and you start realizing, no, 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 they're not hurting anybody else. And you shouldn't add a jail sentence to it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but I just remember those old arguments and just being like, man, shut up. You know, they just sounded like well, dumb hippies, you know? Not to mention that there's like a marijuana subculture that is, that can, those, some of those people can be very, very annoying. <laughs> so it's like, you know, that one guy that smoked weed that you knew that was always talking about the legalization of weed. And it was like, one day they'll legalize it and this motherfucker is going to have nothing to say. Like he's not going to have any point of conversation because it's all he's talked about for right. the past 16 years. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Which that actually, it's a good thing. Something that you said actually made me think of something the other day. Um, not the other day, something I was thinking about the other day, because there's been this call to forgive student debt and, I remember seeing Joe Biden say that he wanted to enact some sort of student debt forgiveness, but it was with the understanding that you would work for the government or be in the military or something for a certain period of time to get like $10,000 off of your debt. And I'm like, first off, old man, $10,000, come on, I'm not going to work for you for three years for $10,000. Go, go away. But I was thinking about, what what uh, Jessica was saying about how there's all this the entanglement for drugs in South America, which makes me think of Iran Contra and what the CIA did to fund those things um, back in the day. But I was thinking about 
you know, obviously if someone who was more to the left, like AOC or Bernie Sanders, if they had gotten the nomination, which they never would have given them anyway, they would be pushing for that. But they gave it to Biden. And I was thinking, you know, I know they're not going to forgive student debt. I just, I know that's not going to happen. But I was like, why is it that Biden wouldn't push this point? And I was thinking, oh, you know why? I I just saw Cindy McCain on his transition team. I just saw all the warmongers in in the country get horny for Biden. And I'm like, oh, well, they won't forgive student debt because that's one less way for them to sucker kids in to becoming soldiers. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I found out the other day that my niece is joining AmeriCorps so that they will pay off her student debt as well. And um, I mean, just the, the, the crazy part about it is she's got an incomplete education. Yeah. And so she's not even using it, you know? Yeah. But now she has to work and do whatever the government I don't know what it's going to be. I don't, you know, uh, but now she's got to spend time doing things for them to get it taken care of. But then I thought, well, wait a minute. If it's an incomplete education and it's not going to actually help her to secure some better job, isn't this just literally lose, lose, lose for yes. every single person involved? And I mean, it's not um, just a job. It's the added threat of if you quit this job for any reason, we're not going to pay off this big debt that you have. So there's yep. a bit an aspect of indentured servitude here yes. that yep. I think oh. is being overlooked. Right. And I mean, and that's just that's that's how the military works. Is, Might be I mean, legal, but it's certainly not ethical <laughs> for them to do that. Not at all. Yeah. Did, did you did you catch um, Malice and Alex Jones on Tim Pool's show? Yes. Yes, it was wonderful, and they were talking <laughs> about the. I um, it. Oh, it, I, I've got it for y'all. I, oh, I, I can I can goodness. give you a look. Um, uh, I back up everything, okay. um, but as a, they were talking about college for a brief moment there, and they were talking about credentialing, and I was thinking about how Tim Pool. I don't think Tim Pool's a bad guy at all. But I think he has a blue pill that he's stuck in his cheek. And every time he gets nervous, he just sucks on it. Yes. He's like, I can't, I, I can't, I can't. Um, but they were talking about college. And I was thinking about, like, if you, the listeners can't see this, but right above my head over here, that's a college degree. First off, it's in biblical studies. Do you think that I am currently using this piece of paper on my wall? No. Do you think it was worth the 60 plus thousand dollars I paid for it? Mm. No. And so when they were talking about that, I actually tweeted, I said, you know, um, the, the college degree on my wall is not up there to show you how credentialed I am or how smart I am or how able I was to stick to it, to get a college degree. This is me showing you how stupid I am. Period. Like after I got out of college, after I got this degree, after I did several other things, I realized all of the information I learned from here is on the damn internet for free and with far more nuance than I received in college classes. 
I have this struggle when it comes to this paying back student debt because I'm in this this ground where I'm like, no, I don't want the taxpayers to pay for it. I agreed to do it, blah, blah, blah. I understand that that line of thought. Also, I was duped into this. I was sold a bill of goods and I was told that I needed it. I was told that it was, um, uh, what was, how, what do they call it? Student aid, was it? I don't know what the term is anymore. Financial aid. Financial aid. They made it all sound like this is going to be easy and it's going to help me. I'm going to get through it. It was, a, it was a bill of goods. And so every month, do you know how much I pay the federal government in interest on top of my income taxes that I do working a job that I lucked into essentially because I, I pushed for it and made some good friends? has nothing to do with this, but I'm paying income taxes to the federal government. And on top of that, I'm paying them interest for something that I was trained to believe mattered since I was a small child. And so there's this part of me that's like, yes, I understand your argument. No, student debt shouldn't be forgiven. My kind of thing is student debt should go away insofar as student loans should go away from the government, period. And if we have to eat the student debt to get rid of the student loans and I don't have to pay any more to the government, I'm fine with it. If I can make two quick points on that, the amount of money that it would take them to wipe out the student loan debt is chump change compared to what they dole out to a lot of the uh, military industrial complex and a lot of the corporations that they bail out. It's it's chump change by comparison. So I get what you're saying about the argument of us passing that debt onto our children, which is absolutely not a moral thing to do. But they do this all the time without blinking for their friends in their elites and all of the other people. So the little people who might actually benefit from it, the people who are suffering under this student loan debt, I, I, I don't think it would be terrible for them to get something broken off for them considering it is their wealth that's being spent. And then the other point is I use Skillshare to learn to paint. I've been doing it for about two months now and it's a lot of fun. All the people on Skillshare went to art schools, spent $100,000 $200,000 in some cases to get these art degrees mm. to be the instructors on Skillshare that I paid $100 a month to now get instruction from. So I'm getting the same instruction. Now, granted, there's maybe classroom aspects that I'm missing out on, but generally I can learn technique. I've been learning technique from these videos. So I feel like, you know, we're entering an age where technology is going to phase out the usefulness of a lot of these university programs. Um, so well, that already has, will I take care of itself. <laughs> right. So, um, so if they don't want the peasants to surround the castle and burn it to the ground, they're going to have to throw us a couple of bones. And those bones are weed and student loan debt. <laughs> and it would cost them nearly nothing to do it. What do you think? That's just my take. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. I mean, so, you know, um, it, 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 when you look at it, you say, well, who's the real winner? I mean, the real winner is always the government uh, and, yeah. and, and the Fed, you know, as well. I mean, they, I, I'm sure that they love it when the right runs to them and says, we want war. And they're like, OK. And then the yeah. left runs to them and goes, we want student debt. And they go, OK, we want socialism. OK. I mean, I, I don't <laughs> think, you know, does your ideology require a lot of debt? Yes. OK, great. Then you can have yeah. That seems to be pretty much it. So maybe they will get it done. Who knows? I, I, 
I personally, I don't want to see that happen because you just end up with both. You end up with military industrial complex and uh, with this, you know, because the next step after that is going to be, oh, now college should be free. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's be honest, the reason Bernie wants college should be free is because it is a free course in his ideology for four years yep. that somebody else has to fund. So now he gets to you know, wind them up like robots and send them out in the world saying all of the same things that he says. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think my my point about my the debt that I have isn't that I'm like, oh, please pay off my student debt. That's not what I'm thinking. No. My my thoughts are I'm I'm stuck between these two mindsets because I was duped into paying the federal government more yeah. so that they could quote unquote pay other people to be indoctrinated. Yeah. And so like, it's, it's this weird, it's this trade-off thing that you have to deal with that you only, you don't, there are no trade-offs on the left. So. Well, it's a question of, are they going to spend this money on their corporate interests, bailing out airlines and all of the other things that they do bailing out these corporations, you know, and I know that I'm sounding like a certain, uh, congresswoman right now, but (laughs) they do spend this money on that. And when you look at the comparison of those two things, now I'm not saying I want that to happen. I'm saying that um, what it would cost them in order to keep people invested in the system, invested in them as leaders and invested in their power is that they're going to have to give that, they're going to have to give them something. And what they're clamoring for is relief from the student loan debt. So it's not a matter of this is what I think ought to happen. It's what I think will happen, if that makes sense. Well, and, and I think that when it comes to like my, my, what I want is for student federal student loans to end. And I don't, I, at that point, I don't want them to be able to sell the assets off so that I still have to pay for something for that. I'm just saying, I want it to end and I Mm -hmm. want them to be cut off from payment. That's all I want. (laughs) Unfortunately, I think they'll forgive them and then keep giving them out. Yes, they'll do exactly. the worst there's, possible. There's, <laughs> I'm under I'm under no illusions as to what they will do. I'm just saying, if I would definitely be okay with personally paying for other people's student loans as well, as long as it was forgiven, if that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, as long as the the student loans stopped. Yeah, I think it would just go to zero and then just start over. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. They're devaluing education. And I don't think that Bernie Sanders even necessarily understands that. He he does want his his brand of indoctrination and everyone for free forever. But the more free college becomes, I mean, because they're not going to stop at free two-year schools. They're going to go free universities, free blah, blah, and on and on. Right. But they devalue it Free every time. School. Right. Like, why on earth would anyone need a student, not a student loan, a college degree if everyone has one because it's free and easy to get? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, they're asking freaking first grade public school teachers to have master's degrees now. Like, come on. It's, really? Uh, yeah. Wow. They're really getting them all the way through the, the gamut. And that's, I mean, how how much more devalued can, I mean, education is pretty much worthless in my opinion at this point outside of 
unless you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, right, etc. Yeah, any sort of technical skill, um, engineer, professional degrees. Right. I mean, if Bernie Sanders really wanted um, college to be free, he would have already helped somebody create an online college that would be so cheap to maintain and to keep going. It's like not even funny. But again, that's not what he wants. He wants you sitting in front of that professor that gets to say whatever he wants to you until you understand his way of thinking and, and, and you carry that way of thinking forward. Right. Where are the bills that he's written to, to fund Khan, Khan Academy to make it college level? Because you, you invest a little bit of government money in that and suddenly you have the ability to, to expand it leaps and bounds, right? Well, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation did invest in Khan Academy and they expanded their entire um, base in in a large way. And when I was going through organic chemistry, for example, there were a lot of uh, videos on there that actually helped me get through those classes. So, you know, the the, the private sector is already making Khan Academy a a much bigger thing and, and God bless them for it. Khan Academy, Skillshare. There are so many different ones that I've, uh, what was, who, what was the one that LinkedIn bought? Um, Linda. Oh, I know Linda too. Yeah. That's a yeah, great, I mean, that is a great website. I mean, uh, Tom Woods, Liberty classroom, Ron yeah. Paul whole homeschool. I mean, yeah. like you could do everything from home with a computer. And I think that that I don't coronavirus suddenly every every kid's made to stay at home they're not ready for it right and i think that i don't like i'm i'm kind of confused about this actually now that i'm talking about it why do you think that it seemed like the the schools were surprised by this because you'd think i mean i don't know i don't know why i'm stumbling over this surprised this just seems by like it's very bad for the schools it is it's fact in fact uh, all of the lockdowns are bad for every institution that the left controls. <laughs> uh, media, the Ironically. news, um, entertainment, and all education is being what's just the angle. Destroyed. It's being wrecked. I, I don't know. It, it really, it, it sure does feel like it's the orange man bad virus. Is it the, just the great reset? It's also conformity. Sure. Because right now, ideological conformity is the new current social currency. So when I wear my mask and I don't get my hair cut and I stay in my house for eight months cradling my DVD of the office, um, I signal that I am part of the acceptable social class. Yeah. And those of us who won't are in the cast aside, no longer part of acceptable society. And so things are being split along these lines about what virtues and what philosophies you will signal. Yeah, I, I sure. I, all the, all the uh, outward signs are certainly there. The thing that I look at when I look at, again, uh, all major media and the entertainment industry um, and education, things like this, these are, these are institutions that are completely controlled by leftists. And when I see this thing come along and it destroys them in the process so let's take celebrities, for example. These guys have caught more crap this year for putting out all these stupid videos and commercials and things about wearing the mask. You know, just, just as a, exactly, just as a, as a visible thing I want you to think about. Here's this person. 
They can't make a movie. They can't make a TV show. They can't do any of these things. They can't do stand-up comedy because it's all being shut down. And they are vying for the shutdowns. They are demanding that the shutdowns happen while it even hurts themselves and destroys their own industry. That tells me that whatever exists above that plane of control and messaging that we get is willing to destroy them too, and that they have done all of their messaging for them up until this point. Because I, it doesn't feel like they're... Obviously, they don't have the ideas. Tom Hanks doesn't have the idea. The professors don't have the idea. The first grade and kindergarten teachers, you know, um, the, the people at CNN, they don't have the idea. But they have been delivering a unified idea for a very long time. And all of a sudden, there's this great reset that comes along, and it's willing to smash them as well. So that's the way I'm looking at it right now. Like, yeah, but so what's above them? Right. They're unified here, but there's something up here. Yeah, it's interesting. And the, the, and the corporate media were just they didn't know where to go with it. They were not briefed very clearly. <laughs> right. And all they know is that they're vying for it. They're asking for it. And it's destroying all of those institutions that right. they and everyone like them control. When I, w- I was watching something the other day, it was probably um, that Alex Jones episode with Temple. But I was thinking about how if you pay attention to the elites, they have always had a soft spot, or if you're crass, you could say a hard-on, for economic fascism, mm-hmm. Mussolini-style fascism. I mean, look at, look at Facebook and Twitter. Like they, they have done so much, and it seems so clear to me that Mark Zuckerberg – wants to be regulated because he so much is asked to be part of the regulation process. Twitter wants to be regulated because if there is that economic fascism, which is, you know, it's, it's, as it's been described in the past as kind of socialism with a capitalistic veneer, it's capitalism, but state controlled capitalism Mm -hmm. essentially and heavily regulated. And that's what Amazon wants because look at how much money they've made in the coronavirus. Yeah, they love watching small business die. And mm-hmm. so, and that was just one of those thoughts that I had the other day. I was like, my God, these people really haven't. I mean, FDR loved fascism. Yeah. I mean, th- there, that has been a big thing for the past, what, 70 years? And I don't think that the elites ever gave it up. I think that that's what they're pushing for. And I think that's what the great reset is about and Klaus Schwab is pushing for. So I think part of why Zuckerberg and Dorsey want to be regulated so bad is because regulation takes some of the social responsibility for what they've created off of them because they're sitting in this weird position of, are you the public square? Are you censoring people? Are you undoing society as we know it through your invention? If the government steps in and makes a regulation, makes a rule, well, then that alleviates them from that responsibility. And secondly, if they do do something wrong, you know, when are government entities ever held to any account or any responsibility? It was like, yeah, we screwed it up. Well, and, and a good example of why they want regulation would be oh, it's there. Two of the best examples are number one is pharmaceuticals. Look at how much protection they have when they they develop drugs, specifically vaccines, and then look at uh, the car industry. 
the car industry, there are several big companies and they have lobbyists that lobby for regulations that they put that everyone has to put in their cars in order to sell their cars. But they're the only ones that can afford to put these things and these features into the cars. And so it puts the small, the little guy out of business. Mm -hmm. It's a net advantage for these people to, to have that regulation because like, let's say tomorrow, um, all social media companies are regulated by the federal government. Do you think Parler is going to be able to afford to, to get everything up to code so they can keep going? Do you think that Gab definitely won't? Do you think, but do you think do you, you're the business you, you invest in at locals? How will it fare if there's a bunch of new regulations that you have to change all of your, your app architecture in a moment? True. Like, um, how, how, how does that affect the little guy? Because I'm looking at Twitter and Facebook and you know, they have all these, these people in their huge companies that have already written all the code they need to have regulations drop down and they pop it into their app the next day. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, software is software can be pretty amazing. Um, if you look at problem solving, just I'll give you an example. I'm in e-commerce and so now they've got all these different regulate uh, different rules where a state can make you collect state tax, you know, uh, remotely for them. But it depends on if you hit those uh, uh, thresholds. Okay, so I don't uh, I don't currently collect those because I don't meet those uh, thresholds. And um, <laughs> but they've written this software. It's a company called Avalara, and what Avalara does is they will literally become a plug-in to your cart. And they will quote the correct tax for every county in America. They'll collect it. And then if you pay them, I think, 30 bucks at the end of the month, they'll also file it and submit the money from your account per state. And that came along pretty quickly. It's all I'm saying. Yeah. So what you're, what you're talking about, if there's some kind of regulation where if these things trigger this and they have to be moderated or just whatever the government comes up with, there's a lot of companies out there that would compete to create that. Of course, the, the, the big problem is, is that now the government is controlling speech. Um, yeah. But from a business standpoint, I'm also saying that it would only cost me $30 a month uh, when I cross those thresholds, uh, if I ever do, uh, to, collect <laughs> and to collect and to pay those taxes to other states. Right. And, and of course, the, the market makes a way people in the market know that their needs to be met and they make them, especially in the, the software market right now. That's my job is building software. But let me tell you, Ryan, the guy who does the show techno agorist on our little network, mm -hmm. uh, he's the one I work for essentially. He's my client. And when Apple put out their new line of Macs with the M one chip whole time, he was like, what's this going to mean? I'm going to have to rewrite everything. I'm just going <laughs> to, He's like, they can't do this to us. And so it's like, you know, the, I think that I, I think that Zuckerberg, especially maybe not Dorsey, but I think Zuckerberg knows that a lot of this isn't scalable, but I think that he knows that he can further cement himself as the master of the domain and push others out like locals, which I love, by the way, thank you for investing in locals. Tell them I need to be able to copy and paste because my copy pasta skills do not work on the locals. 
Okay. Um, have you have you submitted a ticket to those guys? No, I, I don't. I don't know how, but I will. Oh, yeah. I will if you tell me. Right on the left. Look on the left hand side, and you'll see where you can uh, submit. Sweet. Sweet. (laughs) But no, I mean, that's, but that's the thing. Like, I I do think that if you look at big enough companies, they're all going to want that regulation. They're all going to want to push for these things that push their competitors out of the market to make them the the most amount of money with having the most amount of control. And I don't know how we got here in this conversation, but locals is awesome. And you should join us. If you were listening if you were on Locals right now on my Locals, you could be watching us talk, but you're not. So true. It's sad. <laughs> so did you guys, th- this is related. It's going to sound like it's not, but it is. Did you guys see the Andrew McCabe Senate testimony that happened maybe three days ago? They had him back in for questioning, several days of questioning. I, I, I came in on the last day. And one of the things that they were asking him um, was you know, all of these things happened and you ruined several people's lives during these Russiagate investigations. Who gets held responsible for doing that? And he couldn't really answer the question. His question uh, was, you know, you've done this thing, you and your people who have, you know, enacted these life ruining procedures on these people. What sort of responsibility do you hold for that? And his answer was literally, well, me sitting in this committee hearing is being held responsible. That's the responsibility. He he couldn't oh. fathom that the punishments that get doled out to the rest of us might affect him in some way right. for him ruining people's lives over what they knew was bullshit and not just bullshit, but bullshit that came directly from the Hillary Clinton campaign, as was released by that uh, declassified CIA memo that just came out. Right. So we know this to be a fact. This isn't even a conspiracy theory. So when Zuckerberg and Dorsey end up being found out to have uh, irreparably affected the integrity of our elections by controlling information and subverting yeah. information and communicating with each other about who gets a voice in our system any longer. They're going to be all regulated up. And then what do you mean? Isn't this hearing the responsibility? And so, you know, none of the people who fall under these, you know, regulation categories end up actually having to take responsibility for anything they do that hurts any of the regular people. Do you know who that makes me think of? Who does that make you think of? Do you remember a couple of years ago when Barack Obama bombed a Doctors Without Borders hospital in Afghanistan? I do. And then he got away with it by just saying, I'm sorry. I'm taking responsibility. Don't you hear me saying I'm responsible? Yeah, Andrew and Cuomo is taking responsibility. Has has Cuomo taken responsibility for putting the old people or the COVID people in the old folks' homes yet? No, that's a conspiracy theory, Cam. You need to shut up. You'll be yeah, there. I don't think so. Yeah, I get told by lefties all the time that um, he tried really hard. Yeah. No, my my brother who lives in California when I was like, man, Gavin is one of the worst about this stuff have you seen the rules for thanksgiving and he was like no no no, gavin is great gavin his his response has been wonderful and i just love everything that he's done and i'm like how do you live in this world yeah 
how did you get here? Because we we lived in the same house all of our lives until a certain point. When he was giving his apology, it looked like he was trying not to laugh his ass off. Did you any girl? Yes. Any girl who's dated a shitty guy knows exactly what that's about. It's actually interesting if you watch it without the audio. He does not look like he's done something wrong and that he's apologizing. He looks like he is excited. He's in front of the boardroom telling everybody like how great everything's going to be. It's amazing. I'm so sorry that you're mad at me. I'm really, I'm so sorry. And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's it's like how um, Kamala Harris, like her face never matches what she's saying because she is, she is like Malice has said, she is training people non-verbally as to how they're supposed to feel about what she's saying. So she laughs while she says things that are clearly ridiculous. Right. So, th- and people just go, Oh yeah, I don't, I shouldn't take this seriously. Of course I should. Because and I don't want to be mocked about it. It was just a debate. Obviously she's laughing. She, oh, she's like, hysterically laughing. Yeah. What right. was his name? That's um, my favorite too, because she's O'Hare. like, you literally called Joe Biden a racist. And she goes, it was a debate. It was yeah. literally a debate. It was yeah, like, it was on Colbert. Yeah, but, you uh, didn't mean it? Yeah, that's basically what she said. Yeah. I'm just yeah. trying to win. I'm just out here trying to win, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Tim Pool actually okay, said, bitch. I think yesterday, <laughs> that um, people had been surveyed after they'd heard this, the Hunter Biden story. And like I think he said between 5 and 10% of people regretted voting for Joe Biden. And had they known that story, they would have voted the other way. And the fact is... Dorsey didn't do it because he's just a figurehead. I don't think he has any real power at all, but I'm going to, he's, he's the, uh, he's the person I'm going to beat on, but Dorsey and his, his people took that story off. made was it blocked Kaylee McEnany because she posted a story from the New York post. Right. Like how on earth do you, I mean, you could say that all of the votes that happened right now, that they've counted are all legit for for Biden. I don't care about any of this. This is a dog and pony show. But you can't not see what happened on Twitter with the Hunter Biden story and how they blacklisted it and not go, this election was fiddled with. Not real. Yeah, it's just not real. Um, and it's been, it's more blatant than ever. So when I see stuff like that, I think it's wonderful because I think it's a huge red pill moment for people who are open they're at least open to the red pill moment so yeah. like like conservatives for example um and and again i know jessica came from the left i've personally and and i would you know be very interested to actually look into this to, to find out if i'm if i'm wrong or what i feel like in general people who come from conservatism and from the right are more open to leaving other people alone now they it used to not be that way it used to be that the right were the crackpots, um, but the, the left have moral majority. Yeah, correct. The left have clearly taken that over. Where most conservatives that I know now, they're just like this. They're like, please, just leave me alone. Like, go away. Like, don't. I don't want you to even look at me. You, you lefties, like, just stop controlling me. That you're right. Hope that gives me hope that. Uh, when people see that the entire media is fake, it's always been fake, by the way. I mean, it's funny to go back and look at this old, like, Thomas Jefferson quotes, you know, <laughs> about uh, 
reading the newspaper and uh, being misinformed. Uh, that stuff's wonderful. And it's not like he was saying it like he just discovered it. You know what I mean? Like, this is just the oldest idea in the world that whoever controls the news is full of it. And they're promoting something other than the actual news itself. They're using it to get something for somebody else. Um, so I think it's wonderful that people are seeing this thing and realizing, wait a minute, all the news is, is stories that elites want you to believe to keep them in power. Yeah. Yeah. They're, and they're, their red pills are our white pills. Yeah. The U.S. Yeah. government has been engaged in psychological warfare for at least half a century, if not more. Yeah. The idea that they wouldn't use that on their own people they is did. foolishness. It is absolute foolish. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So if they're doing it on the battlefields of Iraq, they're doing it here because they view it as a means of control that requires less bloodshed. And it they they won't kill us if they don't have to. That doesn't mean that they won't, as was demonstrated in Waco. But if they don't have to, they won't. These are red pills. And it's it's true. There are like I one of my the tweets that went the farthest for me recently was when a conservative guy had tweeted, well, you know, if our, if our, my vote doesn't count, then vote does voting doesn't matter. And it's not, it's not self-government it's we're being ruled. And I was, all I tweeted was, holy shit, they're starting to get it. That's right. And that's where we are right now. Did you see how many people have like said no to Fox news and have left watching fox news it's amazing like this is this is a very white pill moment yeah it's a very positive moment in history and hopefully it continues but who knows what happens if biden takes over and tries to force a national mask mandate half of the country suddenly realized that nobody is on their side in the corporate press yes when fox news just basically just started acting the way that they were acting so let's admit out of that half of the country, at least half of those people, they just want their own opinions fed back to themselves. Right. You know? mm-hmm. uh, and a, yeah. And then there's going to be a large percentage of people who are like, oh, no, no, they are fair and balanced. At least they tell both sides of the story. And you could make a case for that to a degree. But it is interesting watching the corporate press take that hit in the form of Fox News, the one station that they could all agree on was giving them some decent um, information. Yeah, exactly. Like they were standing up for their side. And when they didn't, they were like, whoa, we're out of here. Now, of course, the push is, oh, we have to replace it with this conservative outlet. Hey, let's replace it with this other conservative outlet. Let's replace it with both of those other conservative outlets. So you do see them kind of doing that. But it makes sense because those people, they don't have a home at all. You watch MSNBC and CNN. If you believe what they're telling you, you have a home in 98% of all of the media in the United States. Yeah. Everything that you want to be told is going to be fed to you. Um, So, yeah, I I think there's some real interesting stuff going on with the press, the whole social media thing. And when you're bringing up Waco, it makes me think about the fact that would Waco have happened if everybody was standing around with a smartphone? talking to the feds in the field, talking to these military guys, talking to cops, would it have changed that situation? Because I think we all know that there are things that don't happen because there's 50 people sitting there filming what every 
you know, person in military and government and police is doing at any moment in time uh, when something breaks out these days. So I find that to be an interesting angle. I think um, what happened in Waco and uh, also things like Ruby Ridge to include it uh, informed a lot of the way that the Bundy uh, ranch situation went down. Yeah. That because of these situations, people were not ready to see another Waco, another Ruby Ridge. And they brought themselves down there in mass with guns yes. and defended yeah. those people and cameras. And that was a huge difference. And so um, there was also the case of Christopher Dormer, the, uh, I believe, Philadelphia police officer who went rogue. Yeah. And um, hold up in a Chris, Chris Dormer. Dorner. Uh, he Dorner. Thank you. Um, he was a police officer. He went rogue and um, the other officers surrounded him in the cabin that he was hauled up in and burned it to the ground with him inside of it. And that happened, uh, I want to say five or six years ago. No, so it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. So um, yes, we had a positive turnout with the Bundy ranch situation that did have that effect there, but clearly if they want you, they'll take you and they don't care who knows it. Well, I, and, and that is actually a great point that you made, Dent, because if you look at the story of um, Waco, which I spent far too long looking into the, earlier this year, there were people with cameras on the ground trying to get this information out, trying to do this. And the feds straight up stole their cameras and destroyed their tapes. Today, if there were that many people or even someone who was got on the ground and was streaming live – yeah, you can't destroy the tape. So yeah, there is a very positive effect of technology in what we have right now. Right. And yeah, they could get away with a lot less. I do think that you know, if you look at places like Ruby Ridge or um, when Chris Dorner was killed, it always it, 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 don't go to a cabin. If you're running away, go to the city. Right. Go where there are cameras and people. Some witnesses. Right. Probably the best place for you to hide is in plain sight. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and right. And then you, like what you said, so now you're streaming it, okay? Well, yeah. that's why you've got, you know, Diane uh, Feinstein, you know, and Lindsey Graham <laughs> to control the internet. You know what I mean? Like, right. oh, we have to get rid of these yeah. things. So what if there's a bad person out there? And then, of course, what do they use? It's always about the children, right? Oh, child sex crimes. We get it. But again, what are you willing? What is this enormous apparatus that you're willing to live with when they give you this outlier and say, this has to exist because think of the children. Um, It's just another one of those things. But they were making that argument. I don't know if you guys watched the other day when they were talking but more than once they brought up, you know, child sexual predators online and stuff like that. It's yeah. like, this is a real thing. You're also saying that you want to control basically like the news. Yeah. Well, and, and let's, let's talk about them saying something about child sex trafficking or child pornography on the internet, because the federal government, the FBI was in charge of and controlled the largest child pornography website on the dark web and left it up. Right. For a long time before they shut it down. Let's let's not pretend that they didn't look the other way so they could catch the bad guys. Right. You want to talk about the cure being worse than the disease? Yeah. 
right? Let's give them everything they want. Oh, and now we're going to bust you because we gave you what you wanted. Right. Uh, We live in a wild time. It is. I saw It's maybe wild because a lot of things get exposed. um, And then people get so extra frustrated when they don't see it come on the nightly news. And again, to me, that is the most wonderful thing that could ever happen is for a person to do that math. Oddly enough, they're pushing all this legislation about child exploitation, child sex trafficking. But what it ends up being is a lot of things that actually hurt people in the like the legal sex work industry and doesn't have the net effect of actually saving any children. And it makes it hard for people who operate in uh, legitimately in the sex industry to do so and makes it more dangerous for them because it's not as though they're going to stop operating. They're just going to operate in the black market, which is more dangerous for them um, to do. Um, So, you know, that's, that's the unfortunate unseen effect of, you know, the drug war or the the war on uh, sexual exploitation is that you're probably going to create more and worse exploitation by legislating it. Yeah. Which by the way, that reminds me of a um, early on, uh, so uh, Michael Malice was an early uh, guest also of Rubens that made me go, wow. Um, I thought his anarchism was silly. <laughs> I really did because, it, you know, again, I was like, I was like, well, that's just silly. Like, you know, no government. Like, that's just that's just like a, 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 a stupid thing to even say. But everything else he said, I was intrigued by. And then I went back and listened again. And I was like, this guy's right. The ultimate goal should be. Uh, to get rid of all of this stuff. And in fact, I think that the, uh, I think that the most honest, uh, if you want to call it ideology out there really would be anarchism uh, because it addresses everything. It says we cure it all by getting rid of uh, this thing. Uh, But um, one of the things that he, we were DMing and I was struggling with some concepts. This must've been about maybe three and a half years or four years ago. And one of the things that he mentions along the lines of what Jessica just brought up that, so let's say that there's you know, a, a sex worker, or a prostitute. Don't you want her to be able to call the police? Mm-hmm. That yeah. really, really helped me again, as a guy coming from conservatism who, again, I'm, I'm socially conservative. I'm not a guy who wants to put people in chains and things, but that really helped me a lot to bridge those, those ideas. The fact that, wait a minute, there's a person over here that even if they're making a morally bad decision, if somebody's beating her or mistreating her, don't you want her to be able to call the cops and be protected? Yes, I do. hundred percent. Yeah. What you were saying reminded me of that scenario that he put forth to me to think about that. That right there is the exact reason why, because when you remove their ability to operate as legitimate businesses, they're forced into the streets, they're forced into the arms of pimps for protection, and things just become incrementally, or not incrementally, exponentially worse in that industry, whereas where things are now with the internet is a, a much more safe environment that allows them to operate as businesses. I would much rather that set of circumstances. I don't personally um, participate in sex work. And I I try not to be judgmental of it, but if I had a daughter, I wouldn't want her to be doing it. However, I do recognize that if it's between starvation and you doing this, I want you to have any option available to you to uh, support yourself. People should be able to make good and bad decisions um, 
that don't hurt other people. (laughs) Yeah. That goes to drugs as well. Like if you sell weed and some guy comes up to your house, bust in and steals all of your weed. Shouldn't that person who may be a 23 year old trying to pay for his mother's cancer treatments, shouldn't he be able to call the police and say, Hey, someone just stole my entire business from me. Yeah. They should. I truly believe they should. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. And that's a major hang up. I think in, especially like on Liberty Twitter is that you can have a personal opinion about something and not want it legislated by the state. And it's so hard for people to disconnect these two concepts. Like it's a real problem. So I think it's the, the way it's communicated could use some work on the part of the libertarians. Yes. And I think abortion is the toughest because, um, um, I'll, people who are pro-life and also, you know, on the side of the, the libertarian, again, whatever you want to call this, um, movement, <laughs> they, it, it's a struggle, right? Because I don't want it to happen and I don't want to add a jail sentence to it. So yeah. I don't know how to deal with that. And the uh, abortion is one of those things where I just, I have to go like right into uh, my mind and go, wait a minute, everything I think about is in theory anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess I would deal with that later, but I do know that I wouldn't want an added jail sentence to it. You know, yeah. just yeah. it's, well, and it's, mm, and, t- and that's a hard conversation anyway, because the, the waters are so muddied no matter what. It's like when, what was it? When Trump was trying to sound like he was pro-life the first time he said something like, (laughs) yes, the women should be put in jail. There is no honest, true pro-life person who would ever say that. And so that that was one of those things where I was like, you're not actually pro-life, dude. (laughs) Well, you're actually talking about putting one in four women in prison. So I don't know how you're going to house all these women, but yeah. Yeah. Even, even members of clergy, if you said here, here's the easy button, she's going to jail. They wouldn't push it either. Right. Well, like I grew up in the pro-life movement. My mom, uh, when she was 18, had an abortion. And since then I have been around the pro-life segment of the population my entire life. I know all of them very well. I know what they do. I know what their plans are. I know how they implement what they do to help people. My mom worked at a place at a pregnancy resource center for most of my life. And then to help these women and, you know, give, get them what they needed with bottles, formula, furniture, diapers, etc. And then after a certain point, she actually shifted because she knew what she needed was believe it or not. If you believe the, the left on this, or if you believe the corporate media, according to them, abortion means next to nothing to a woman who has one. It's, it's over, it's empowering, it's good, shout your abortion. But my mother had to go through a lot of healing after that happened, and that is what she does for a living now. She has a charity that she runs that helps women who have had abortions reach self-forgiveness and get past the regret, and, and it's a Christian charity. It's a, it's a ministry. So it helps them reconnect with Jesus. Yeah. And the right. left wants to pretend all of those women do not exist. Yes. That the, the horror and pain that they experienced 
after their abortions and the years that come after their abortions doesn't exist and it means nothing to them because they might have had the opportunity to uh, win an Oscar. So, <laughs> you know, Fleetwood Mac wouldn't have written that one song. People are drinking cranberry juice oh riding on skateboards, too, if she hadn't had an abortion. That yeah. argument floors me. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> yeah. But you notice, though, that so what they're doing is they're convincing um, uh, women and girls before they've ever had an abortion that it's going to be great and that it's going to be OK. And it's mm -hmm. the same thing that leftists have always openly admitted Give me children. Forget about the old people. They've already lived life. They're not going to come to socialism. They're not going to come to communism. Give me the children and yeah. I will convince them. And it's kind of the same approach, isn't it? Like, yeah, I think that's a direct Marx quote, isn't it? That I don't want you. I want your children. Yeah, that I it was Lenin. Your children. It might have been. Lenin. It sounds more Lenin, doesn't it? Right. That we don't want you, we want your children, and that um, none of this will be fought in a battlefield, that it, within your universities, your children would turn to us, and oh, you'll yeah. fall into our hands like a ripe fruit. Oh, yeah. As I believe the way that ended. And it always chilled me, like, oh, he's right. Right. <laughs> right. We go after the uneducated. We go after the people who haven't experienced these things yet, and we tell them that the utopia is right before them. You know. Fun fact, any time that Jessica is on my podcast, we talk about russia lenin kropotkin or some communist and definitely the russian revolution in some sense every single time i like <laughs> i like reading about the russian revolution i just love i don't know if you saw this but after the last time you were on the show someone tweeted at you and me to find out who the ceausescus were because they needed oh, to use that i keep forgetting i that that documentary is sitting in my YouTube history somewhere. I can just pull the link out if I bothered to go look. But yeah, the Ceausescu's, which is a yeah. very difficult word to say and spell. Um, <laughs> they were we like a dictator. We learned it from Alice. Uh, they were a dictator couple uh, who yeah. ran a, a repressive communist Rom regime in Romania. their country. Romanian, thank you. And uh, met an inauspicious end when communism started its downfall. I won't spoil the ending for you because it's, it's a it wild a Christmas one. Christmas miracle. So. Yeah. <laughs> of sorts. <laughs> of sorts. Um, but yeah, I think it's important to watch these things and watch their downfalls, but also watch their developments. Because it's not as though we're exempt from these perfectly normal human behaviors that took place. I, and I feel could like easily in, take place again. I feel like in school I got 20 minutes on the on the Cold War. Like I, I don't I think, think I got much of anything. I don't want to take over here, but I have I, I have theories as to why that is. And I think that we we don't tell our children about communism and Russia and the Iron Curtain and all of those things because Americans don't come out looking the hero in those stories. When we talk about Nazis and World War II and, you know, uh, storming the beaches at Normandy, we, we come out as the heroes in our own minds. And we love to tell those stories because the narrative is so generous to us. But we don't talk about the devil's deal we made with Stalin in order to win that yeah. war. And how we basically shut, slammed the door on millions of people who would die of starvation, which is pretty much one of the worst ways you can go uh, underneath the Stalinist regime that we funded throughout the war and only continued because of the funding that they received from the allies. And we made that possible. 
not we, you, I, or any of the three of us sitting here, but sort of the, the, the collective American nature way. of the American government made that possible. And so some of that blood comes on our hands too. So we love the story about how we liberated the camps and how, uh, gosh, didn't we beat the Nazis? Aren't we great 82nd Airborne? We don't like to tell the other half of that story. And that's why I think it's uncomfortable to our narrative and a public school is never, never going to tell you a story that uh, rubs against the grain of their narrative. Right. Which and show you the Russia picture, is. When people show you the picture of Korea at night and they show you North Korea and they show you South Korea and they show you the difference and that they don't tell you that the United States and Russia sat down and divvied them up. Yeah. That's right. That's right. 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 Hey, we, we deal won. signed we deals. We like the South. We like the North. Yeah, <laughs> we participated in that in that uh, situation. We we helped make that happen. Yet, how many people will almost laugh? You know what I mean? Like it's easy for them to be like, "Ha, ah, look, you can see it. It's communism versus this." You know, it's well, <laughs> you do know that we sat down at that table and we divvied yeah. that place up, right? Yeah. Not to mention that at the very last part of the Cold War when uh, George H.W. Bush was president of the United States, even though Gorbachev didn't do a bad job when it, when communism fell, I think he saved a lot of lives by not doing something. He was a guiding hand. He guided the fall. But the fact remains that George H.W. Bush told him, no one wants to see the Soviet Union fall. Yep. Mm -hmm. Sure did. He wrote it but down. No one knows this. <laughs> right. It wasn't America that brought the Soviet Union down. They they voted themselves out of it because of intrepid people who knew history within the Soviet Union who were able to discover these sort of back back dealing contracts that they had made with the Nazis that granted these countries to the Soviet Union. So this a grand American vision of us destroying communism. I mean, yeah, we probably funded Yeltsin and other people like that. It was the private we helped media it. That did it. <laughs> yeah, but we spent <laughs> Dallas. <laughs> and we we kind of spent them into the ground too. I mean, yeah, the jig was up. They they could see the way the Western world was living, and they knew they weren't living the same way, and that the narrative that the Western world was just full of poverty wasn't holding up any longer. They could smell the McDonald's over the wall, and they were like, "Screw this, you guys." And they got themselves out of the communism. So <laughs> they tore down that wall themselves. Good for you, Latvia. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> well, this has been a fun conversation. Thank you for coming on the show, Dan. Yeah. And oh, as great. always, Jessica, I, I like you a lot. So you're always going to come back. I'm going to talk you into almost every episode now. Just wait for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, thank you for coming on. And, uh, I like, I don't know if you've listened to many of my episodes. I always assume no one's has, no one has listened to anything that I've ever done. I think it's just a safe assumption and I go with it, but I do like to ask one of malice's questions that he asks because it's just a fun one and it puts people on the spot. Uh, but before that I have, I just jotted down a question, which is who do you think is the most important public figure right now? Jessica, why don't you go first? <laughs> oh, man. I I really got to think about that one for a second. The most important public figure right now. For us, for, for what we're, yeah. what, what we want. I think, 
Okay, so it's not just overall. Right. I would they, say I mean, undeniably I'm, it would be Donald Trump. I think right. he affects the psyche of almost every person around me. Yeah, <laughs> so true. I couldn't say that. But it, you mean as far as like the liberty mo- movement goes? As, as far as who do you think is most important insofar as leading us to winning? Or at least making it so that people realize we can win. This is going to be a corny answer, but I think it's true, nevertheless. So I'm going to fire it off anyway. I think the most important person is is you, the individual. You need to. I thought you were going to say con- me. God no, damn. I mean, God Not bless you, Cam. So. But I mean, us, <laughs> the royal you, the royal we, the individual. We we got to convince ourselves of that. You know, there there are a lot of people who understand the rhetoric and maybe even some who have read some of the books, but I don't think people are convinced that um, self-ownership is even possible. So um, I know that's a corny answer, but I think that, you know, you, you, the person, you, the individual is the most important person to the Liberty movement right now. Wow. I, okay. It's hard to just put it on one person. I mean, we all love people like, I mean, we love Tom Woods. We love Michael Malice. We love Dave Smith. These are all guys that I can totally get behind. You know, let's also admit they're fairly obscure, even more obscure, though, and more interesting in certain ways is, um, you know, Curtis Yarvin or uh, Menchus Moldbug. That guy, the thing that I like about Moldbug is that he is more than rooted in uh, like I said earlier, like, wait a minute, everything that I think about is just a theory. He's really good at bringing history from, I mean, he'll, I mean, he'll go all the way back to the Romans for you or, or, or further. He'll take history and bring it a long way, all the way to a modern point. So I do find him to be an extremely interesting thinker, possibly the most interesting thinker out there. That I think ultimately, I know he talks about the you know monarchy being the best and things like that, but he roots that stuff in a lot of history. So I do find him to be the most, uh, I th- maybe it's the most interesting answer I could give. Because I could just easily sit here and go, well, I love Tom Woods and I love Michael Malice and I love Dave Smith. I think all of those types of people will lead us out of these. Notice that they're all you know sort of media types, right? Yeah. They're out there. You can find them. They're they're accessible, and they say things that I think ninety nine percent of the time I could um, either outright agree with or at least understand. But yeah, I don't know. I think more people should get into Moldbug because I think he at least um, he gives you different angles of things to think about from. Um, I find that guy to be very very interesting. Anyway, well, not to mention that the concept and metaphor of the red pill was popularized by him. Yes. Wow. It came from that. him and made its way out into common parlance. The cathedral as well. Yes. This came from, from Curtis Yarvin. Yep. So that's it. That's it. I mean, that's a really solid answer. And the, the question to put you on the spot, you can answer from Twitter inter- interactions or this conversation if you want, but what is your favorite thing about me? Oh, Wow. um well i mean it's easy to say your 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 quest for freedom i think that uh 
maybe it's an easy answer, but maybe it's still the best answer. Your quest for freedom that I don't have to agree with. And you don't have to agree with everything that I think either. And we all know that. And it's a, it's basically a joke and a meme at this point uh, that everybody's you know trying to accomplish the same thing, but nobody's really you know, has the right ideas. But yeah, I would say, I would say your, your quest for freedom, you know, yeah. and, um, that you don't, um, you don't necessarily just subscribe to uh, what this person says or what that person says. And I think you're a little like me in that you're willing to take incremental wins. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, just as, as an example, and I think you and I talked a bit offline about this, but I mean, uh, this is, this is the God's honest truth. Donald Trump cut my taxes so much at the end of 2017. One year later, I was completely debt-free, including my mortgage. Keep in mind, I'm still in my 40s. And also, my business uh, grew. My business would normally grow. There were years where it would grow 3 to 5%. Other years, maybe 7 or 8 okay? Just year over year. I launched my business the month Obama took office, by the way. So I have, I've, I have the... Uh, uh, I have the documents. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so when when Trump did that, business took off at the end of 2017. Like, I mean, it was just crazy. It was like uh, it was just like a spaceship just flying straight up in the air. And I was like, wow. Then I started doing my taxes with my accountant. You know, the first quarter of 2018, and he gave me my quarterly prepays. You know, I'm, I'm a corporation. And I looked at the quarterly prepays and I said, those are really low. He goes, all right, Donald Trump made the first 20% of the income of your business tax-free. Plus you've got all these kids, plus he lowered your rate. And I was like, okay, I'm already seeing growth. I want you to put me down for a 25% worth of growth. And I want you to send me the, you know, the larger quarterly prepays. He sent the, the quarterly prepays to me and they were still smaller than what I was paying under Obama. So wow. this is what I saw. I saw business doing this and I saw taxes doing this. And what I did was I scooped everything out of the middle and I paid off my house. I paid off all, I, I really didn't carry a lot of business debt, but I just went ahead and paid off, um, you know, open lines of credits and, and things like that too. And in 12 months, I owned my home I have really have always owned everything in the business. It's always been pretty strong with uh, uh, inventory and, and me not using loans too much. No other politician, you can say whatever you want, has ever done that much for me and my family. And so, you know, I'm obviously I'm like a you know libertarian, whatever you want to call me, who doesn't necessarily dislike Donald Trump. And I have a reason for it. Um, I now own a home and a business and everything else that if I just kept plodding along and paying those higher taxes and and experiencing small growth in the business, like everybody else, I still would have had that friggin' 30 year mortgage hanging over my head. And I've had people that I don't think that they quite believe me when I say that I'm like, keep in mind, I own my own business. And when that business skyrocketed, it did mean uh, a lot more income, but boy, did he cut the, uh, the, 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 the taxes off the bottom. It was an amazing thing. And um, I don't think there's a problem with recognizing things that are good. And, and again, I'm speaking to incremental wins. 
That is more than incremental win, okay? At the same time, you have to sit there and watch Trump do things like say, oh, you can't smoke cigarettes unless you're 21 or whatever. You know, like just go down the list. Not ending the wars. Maybe he didn't start some new ones. I get that. But not ending wars and stuff. People like Rand Paul. People like Thomas Massey. You know, I've got a soft spot in my heart for these people because let's be honest, if the Congress was Thomas Massey, Right. A hundred percent. And if the Senate was Rand Paul, a hundred percent, we might not even be talking to each other right now because we wouldn't. Be. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I mean, there, there's a there's a difference, you know, I, you know what I love for just all this stuff to not exist. Yes. But I'll take the incremental wins like the First Step Act and other things that these men uh, uh, and women can bring forward to us that could be, give people temporary relief in their lives. I mean, tax relief, but also not sending as many people to jail. These are yeah. good things. I'll take these wins. Yeah. I'm not one of these. If it's, if we're not just blowing everything up, everything sucks and it all has to go. And, and yeah. no, there's some good things that have happened and uh, I will accept them for me and my family and for you and yours. Not to mention that if it weren't for Rand Paul being in Donald Trump's ear, I guarantee you we would be in a war with Iran right now. I think that's true, too. I think that's true as well. Again, I think there's some good people that do try to do good things and that we should accept that. And we should praise those people when they do those things. You know, don't just be like, oh, well, then but but then there's this. Yeah, we know that. (laughs) And I think that that's kind of where we meet is I don't think any of us in this this conversation right now believe in cynicism. I think we see the wins and we, we shout the wins you know what? We didn't go to a war with Iran. Does that mean that people didn't die in Yemen? No. But what it does mean is that people didn't die in Iran. That's right. That's and right. That, is a, that is a good thing. When Donald Trump, again, this is just, to me, it's like, this is huge. When he told that story, and no one refuted the story, by the way, that they were going to drop bombs on an Iranian uh, air base because they had shot down one of our unmanned drones. Yeah. And Trump said that he asked the general, he said, are people going to die? And he said, yes. And he said, well, how many people do you think are going to die? And he said about 150. He said, don't do it. That got me in my heart. Yeah. I mean, well, and, that's- and it should. And he, what's, what's so sad is that people would also hate him so much that they wouldn't let that. They would say, oh, he's just saying that, you know, because he, uh, uh, you know, wants to get reelected or whatever. That kind of that got me in my heart because I the one thing about Trump that I think he deserves credit. The guy was never even the dog catcher. So he didn't have that hardened heart. You look at a guy like Barack Obama. I truly believe that Obama started out as a guy who was not for continuing these wars. He was not for keeping Gitmo open and just go down the list. But he got into Washington and he gave them everything they wanted and he gave them a few more skirmishes that they wanted as well. And I think it's because you get that hard heart, you know, the the Hillary Clintons of the world. Do you really think that 25 years ago, Hillary Clinton's heart was as hard as it was when she laughed about Gaddafi or all these other horrible things? And the other thing that I have to say, as far as people that really they've stepped up and done some decent things. If people want to see uh, a real heartfelt moment, go watch the signing of the First Step Act in Trump's office. 
And I want you to listen to Chuck Grassley, an old conservative man from the Midwest. And I want you to hear him do two things. He admits that the 1994 crime bill was bad by saying some of us thought that we were doing some good. Some of us thought that we were you know, doing the right thing. And then mm-hmm. saying that he hoped that what he was doing now would help to correct some of those things. That should be celebrated. Yeah. Because maybe we could encourage some of these people to start looking at people in a little more of a human way. And when the Republican Party, the party of law and order, when they are passing the First Step Act, and when guys like Grassley are saying these things, that's a big deal. And I think that people should try to try to keep that going, try to keep that energy going, because what if a thousand people get out of jail next year because of these things? I'll take that incremental win. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I never thought that I would say this in my life, but thank God for Kim Kardashian. Yeah. <laughs> From one reality star to another, that she helped free some people. She did. And you never I, know who the Lord will use. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's gonna be easy 2024. <laughs> you, want it, you want it so bad cam i think I it could happen it. here's the deal here's here's the thing i am for real going to start thinking about how i can campaign for kanye in 2024 because i said it before the election and i will i will continue to say it if you wanted to do a protest vote in 2020 the absolute perfect choice for that protest was not Joe Jorgensen. It was Kanye West. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Well, I think he's a good person. Like also I, hilarious. Yeah. And that's where I yeah. live. Sure. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I live in the lulls. Yeah. 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 I'm good too. <laughs> Obviously, you know, he's, I, I, I like him because he's an art school nerd. And a lot of people view him as this rapper type. It's like, no, 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 listen to him talk. He disseminates information like an artist, like a creator. Um, he's yeah. a very interesting thinker. And he's a geek. He's a nerd. <laughs> I can't tell. Like People tried to make it out like he was some sort of hypocrite when he had said something about how uh, Pornhub has enabled tra- uh, sex trafficking. And he called them out for that. And people were like, didn't you give out an award at the Pornhub Awards in 2018? And it's like, have you been paying attention to Kanye over the last couple of years? There was a major event that happened. Mm-hmm. A pretty big one. <laughs> he put out a Christian album. Things yeah. have changed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, also his mother dying. It, yeah. it was like the major thing. And then we have then the Christian album and. Other things. Yeah. So I think no, the loss just, of his just, mother yeah. affected him. The loss him. of his mother, I think, affected him to the point where he started chasing right. after Christianity, which right. led to the Christian album, which led to calling out sex trafficking. It's a huge positive. That's all I'm saying. And Christianity can use all the allies it can get these days, especially Absolutely. when it comes to the youth. <laughs> so obviously Kanye 2024. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then I know that COVID was a boon for your business. Have you been able to get more microphones, specifically Joe Rogan's microphones in stock? 
Yeah, they're in stock. Um, Fantastic. I, yeah, because because I just order um, like I was saying on that Ruben uh, 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 interview from a couple months ago. I just order the hell out of them, and then eventually they show up, and boom, you just start selling them. But yeah, we 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 sell a lot of the. It's called the Shure SM7B. That's that's your Rogan mic. By the way, if people are interested in that microphone, they can essentially get the same uh, sound with more function. In fact. If they buy the shirt, it's called the MV7. They're 249 bucks, And it has essentially the same sound as the SM7B, but it is a, it's a USB mic, or you could use it with another interface if you like. It also has some built-in EQ curves and stuff like that. So anybody that's looking for that broadcast, uh, it's called a dynamic microphone sound. Anybody who's going for that sound, check out the MV7. Like I've we're actually really impressed by that mic at you know nearly half the price of the SM7B. And if you want to find one of those, I highly recommend going to zenproaudio.com. That's the place. If you want and, uh, kids to have a swimming pool, that's the place. <laughs> and honestly, like I said, Dent is a good follow on Twitter. And I realized today... You are too. I'm apparently shadow banned from you or something because I never see your tweets unless I go to your your profile. I think it has to do with how many people you follow and that Twitter is throwing interesting content your way. So, I mean, I, I follow 1,300 people currently. and I only follow like 300 something. But I feel like I only see like nine people. <laughs> so. Yeah, I get that too. Yeah. So I pushed, I, I pushed the notification button on him and yours was already pushed, Jessica. Don't oh, worry. well, thank you. I did the same to you as well today <laughs> when you were, when you were uh, chatting about that. So. Get ready for some bad words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if you want to find uh, Mr. Warren Dent, you can find him on Twitter at, at Dent in the world, which is why I call him Dent. Because like I said to him, I don't know if I said it while we were recording, the first name that I think of you as is what is your name in my mind forever. So he is forever Dent to me, I'll, I'll even though... Um, if you ever change your Twitter handle, I won't know who you are. So. <laughs> yeah, you have to make you have to keep Dent in there or Warren or something because people yeah. change their names and then I don't know who they are. Well, I get, I get their- confused because I'm very visual. So sometimes when people change their avatar, I get lost. I'm like, wait a minute, who is this person? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, is there anywhere else you like to be followed, Dent, that I can point people uh, to? Well, on you know, obviously, uh, people should check out locals.com yes. and um, you know your site, uh, which is uh, is it MLGA? It's makelibertygreatagain.locals.com. Okay, so I want the- to move it to the okay. shorter, but I don't know if I if I can do that. <laughs> I think you can. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever dealt with them. They're tech support, but they're pretty responsive. For someone who makes software for a living now, I don't know what the hell's going on on half the interfaces I use. Yeah. <laughs> well, just as far as me interacting online, though, I mean, it, you know, the, the bulk of it is going to be on Twitter for sure, um, because, you know, locals is great. Uh, people need to sign up and, and support some of these uh, communities if they want to find us in those, Absolutely. Uh, you know, places as well. So, yeah, mostly on mostly on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. And and like I said, locals is great because it's community and creator centered, and that 
that puts it ahead in my book over MeWe or um, Minds or any number of other things because they're trying to either replace an existing property or they're trying to be all things to all people. Right. And that's what I appreciate about locals is it's very it's very specific to what like for me moving from a Facebook group to a locals makes perfect sense. It also yeah. you know it also can keep out the riffraff. It did for Michael as well. I mean he he's got I think he has re- he recently surpassed ten thousand followers on his locals. Amazing. That's amazing. Amazing. That's huge. And uh, we were in a Facebook group before with him. And he's like, guys, this place is toast. He shut it down real quick. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was about the time that I started uh, using his Patreon because I was like, let me in the group. And then the group was just like, yeah, gone. gone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And if you want to find Miss Jessica Green, just type in uh, Libertarian Kitchen Witch on Twitter. Yeah, L-I-B-T, Kitwish. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) L-I-B-T, which is the uh, shortened version, like Dem and Rep. L-I-B-T is for Libertarian. That's where I got it, by the way. Not a lot of people know that. So a lot of people think it's Lib Kitwitch. So when I'm arguing with someone on Twitter, they go right for that. (laughs) You simple-minded partisan. You're gonna own the libs, man. <laughs> I know, I know, but it has that T at the end. L I B T Kit Witch, and, um, yeah, and also I have a YouTube channel, Jessica Green Show. You can check me out there. I don't update and, any of that shit though. And can I tell them the place to look at your beautiful paintings on Instagram? <laughs> if you want to see my bad paintings, they're not good. Don't lie to people. <laughs> I have an Instagram. It's Sovereign Cookies, and I am trying to learn how to be a a genuine painter, but I've only been doing it for two months. So quit telling people to go look at my stuff. Go look at her stuff (laughs) and encourage her. (laughs) Thank you. It's very kind of you. Thank you. But yeah, Sovereign Cookies is my other online persona. Um, It's not because I own a bakery. It's because (laughs) my husband once knocked baked goods out of my hand and then bent down, picked the cookies up, and apologized to the cookies. And I said, well, I'm glad you respect respect the sovereignty of cookies. And he says, yeah, but not scones. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, he's, apparently different baked goods have different levels of autonomy in my husband's world. <laughs> in sovereignty. <laughs> right, sovereignty, yeah. So <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, do you own a bakery? And I'm like, no, the story is way dumber than that. <laughs> Uh, and if you want to find me type in this is mlga anywhere if you want to email me like some sort of pleb you know just cam at mlga network.com twitter instagram facebook type in this is mlga if you would like to hear me talk to good looking people looking as ugly as i do you can join my locals which is makelibertygreatagain.locals.com you can see my ugly face and beautiful people at the same time what a deal um, and again, like I said, Dent, thank you for coming on. Um, we're going to have to do this again because this sure. was just a fun conversation for me. Sure. And and Jessica, you're never allowed on the show ever again. I can't wait till you're back next time. Good. Also, I don't want to come back. Secret. Jessica and I have started a little bit of research on doing some red pills in the future. So we'll see if one comes out probably next year. Let's be real. <laughs> 
<laughs> Everyone who's listening, thank you. And as always, try your best to stay sane. <laughs>